0: More viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning. Good day. Good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number one hundred and forty-four for August fourteenth, two thousand nineteen. My name is Jason Neifer. I am the Assistant Director and Curriculum Director of the Montana Digital Academy, the state virtual school located on the fabulous University of Montana campus in the Phyllis J. Washington College of Education. And joining me, as always, good evening. Dr. West Fryer.
1: Good evening, Jason, and welcome to everybody. Where we are hopefully connecting on both YouTube and Facebook Live with our little Streamyard solution. So I am—I got to get this right—the technology integration and innovation specialist at Cassidy School here in Oklahoma City. And we are in the midst of our week of professional development meetings that we always have back to school. We will be having students return next week. And Jason, I understand you might be receiving a few emails these days from folks involved in the Montana Digital Academy. Is that rumor at all accurate or is you- it disinformation?
0: You have a good source of information, sir, and it's uh, – we we have counselors reporting back in the last two weeks of uh, school – I'm sorry, the last two weeks of, of, of the weeks, and so schools start in Montana starting in a week or two, and then there'll be staggered starts across the state. The last state – the last school I know of uh, starts the second week of September. So diversity in starting dates, which means counselors are back, and my program, which is a state supplemental program uh, that offers distance learning opportunities to students across the state – Um, will begin the day after Labor Day. So we are working with schools. Um, I had to kind of remind myself out loud yesterday. I was, uh, you know, doing uh, uh, plate-spinning email responses, which is – uh, uh, daily reality during the August setup of my program that I want to make sure that if I'm writing a nuanced email, one that requires a little more savvy, something a little more gentle of language that perhaps I don't just shoot off a quick two-line answer and send it off. So I did send out a couple emails yesterday that, that were a little quick and needed a little more gentleness than I attributed to it. Um, but that's a lesson I have to reteach myself occasionally when answering the mass of emails. And I'm guessing, Wes, that you probably aren't answering a ton of support requests right now. I am in nirvana,
1: as it were. Um, I have hung up my IT director wand. I uh, have loved doing that for four years. But, you know, I'm getting to do a pivot to instructional technology. So I have moved my physical office and... Um, I'm not being assaulted by cats as it were, you know, actually that was good. Um, actually it's a dog. Oh, it was a dog. It was a dog. I'm so used to cats, uh, you know, intervening there. Remind us of the, the name
0: of, uh, this is Louie. This is our new puppy. He's been here for two and a half months. Um, and he's still very puppy. So lots of chewing and lots of attention and he physically, um, Injured me in seven different parts of my body when I took him for a walk the other night. So we need to work on the harness a little bit and we're going oh, to get in wow. a better situation. But he is a very strong boy, right? Louie, come here. All ready. right. Wow. Louie.
1: Hey, well, shout out to Peggy George joining us from YouTube. Um, there is a chat app that I have just downloaded called the Restream Chat. And apparently, huh, cool interesting i can send chat from it to facebook but it's read only chat on it's uh, i can send chat to to youtube but it's read only from facebook so we do want to point everybody to the list of links which jason has wonderfully curated and i um i'm going to be rapidly adding to i'm continuing to use my if this then that recipe of whenever I tweet with the hashtag EdTechSR, it puts us into a different Google Doc that I have to just kind of move it around. And so anyway, I will be doing that and uh, probably giving Jason the microphone first. Would you like to summarize for us, Dr. Neifer, what this wonderful opportunity, which we unfortunately missed out on last week, and so we're going to be catching up on two weeks, I think. Uh, what, what is it that we're going to be doing here for the next approximately 55 minutes?
0: Well, the EdTech Situation Room is a podcast that takes a look at news headlines from across the techosphere and kind of looks at them from an educational landscape. Uh, we obviously technology is, has 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 found its way into many corners of our life and society, but how tech best supports learning in schools is something that both uh, Dr. Fryer and I are very interested in as concepts, and also we it's really our, been our lives' work to kind of find the best ways to integrate technology in in classroom and learning environments. Um, this week, uh, our, our links are available at our website at TechSR.com, And usually there's a lot more links than we have the chance to get to in any given week because there is a lot of tech news out there. And so if you're curious about what uh, you know what's interesting to us as we look through the tech news of the time, you can go to our website again at techsr.com/links and that is available as a link on the bottom. Of our screen, uh, if you're watching live on YouTube or the the, the YouTube archive later, so I'm going to go ahead and get us started with a maybe a, a relatively uh, quiet one for the week, just because I, I I think we need to start keeping an eye on this. Recode reported on August 7th that uh, America's digital divide, which is becoming um, an issue that, that it was a big deal 20 years ago. You heard a lot about digital divide, and then there was a perception the digital divide was decreasing, in part, in my opinion, because of mobile devices. The inexpensiveness of mobile devices is, is really a, a, a way that's met the digital divide, and then now it's becoming back again, and then part of that, a great part of that, is because of rural sites in the United States, uh, uh, places that are Um, you know, off the beaten path, as it were, and as a lifelong resident of the state of Montana, I understand rural, uh, areas. Montana is a huge state. If, if Montana was a, a nation, it would be the 60th largest nation on earth from a geographical standpoint, larger than Germany and France and Japan. So I want to be clear that when I say we have rural areas, it's not a small part of our state. The vastness of our state has not small towns, like towns with one, two, three thousand. Those exist here. We also have hundreds of small uh, incorporated, unincorporated cities here. And rural America, including rural Montana, has a real mixed bag when it comes to broadband access and also the ability to um, wire up things like schools. And so... This is not a political podcast. I I can assure you, you don't want Wes and I to ramble on about politics, but I will say that something that's interesting about election 2020 is that there has been a real lack of, of, of deep discussions in, in issues like, policy issues that impact Americans uh, on a day-to-day basis. And um, the political science of me could, could give you some reasons why that's the case, but Elizabeth Warren has uh, released a plan on how she plans to at least deal with some of the larger digital divide, focusing on rural America, and it's investing of about $60 billion in um, things like fiber initiatives and other broadband initiatives to uh, try to to... to do those areas of the United States that have not been the wide benefit of of broadband access. So I'm assuming, uh, well, I, I, I I would say that, that I know this for a fact, there are rural areas in Oklahoma too, right, Wes? Absolutely. Yeah. We've got over 500 school districts, most of which have less than
1: 200 students and uh, you know, our largest, largest school districts are Oklahoma city and, and Tulsa, but we are dominated by rural schools numerically and, the urban rural divide is actually a pretty big thing politically for us on some some different issues but uh yes oklahoma is a rural state and although we're not nearly the geographic behemoth that uh, montana is um the the issues of rural education and then the divides which exist are certainly familiar to us
0: so and, and i would say for me i'm very encouraged that issues issues making into the national uh um, uh, conscious if it is, as it were, but I will say we need to be careful how we fund broadband expansion initiatives. One thing that is a big frustration to me is that, um, a prominent, uh, top four mobile telecom who I will not name by name right now, um, did accept a lot of money from the federal government to, um, uh, uh to expand out into, Uh, areas of of rural America, and that effort was mixed in results, and now other groups trying to access existing federal funds to help expand broadband access in those areas are being told that funds aren't available because those areas are already covered according to the people that took the money the first time around, even though there's not, and I have some experience in this. In that I, you know, as part of my job, I do a lot of site visits. I see a lot of schools. Um, I'm a guy that has a cell phone all the time, so I am in parts of the state a lot. With and I'm currently on T-Mobile. T-Mobile surprisingly solid in Montana, uh, even though it's been here for only three years. They have pretty decent coverage, and even very rural parts of the state. But I, uh, I see this and I see that gap. And we talk to schools all the time that want students to be able to take distance learning classes, but at home, right? They want to be able to take a, a seventh class in their day or an eighth class and largely complete the class at home. And while the school has decent broadband, you know, someone living on a ranch that's outside the, uh, you know, the two-way highway in their part of the state by four or five miles may not have access to even wireless internet, right? And so they have to rely on increasingly f- fast, but very expensive satellite internet, which is just not a reality if you're talking about modern multimedia in a learning environment. So something to keep in mind, um, I encourage you, no matter what your political persuasion is, to you know talk to candidates, uh, local, state, and federal, about what what they're doing uh, for schools, but in, in particular, how they're helping bridge gaps that do still exist between between kids that have access to technology and broadband and kids that don't.
1: Absolutely. Hey, shout out to my friend Jim Bauer, who's tuning in on YouTube Live. Um, As expected, we are reaching a wider audience as a result of our little uh, StreamYard and Restream experiments here. Uh, I'd like to actually do a quick one that's just kind of sign of the times and then get, get into a serious one. I, I put this one, Jason, under Election 2020. It's the New York Times article, How YouTube Radicalized Brazil. But before we talk about that, um, this is a fast one I put uh, down under generation cult, generational culture clash. Uh, this came to us from The Guardian on August 13th. Teen's tweets from her smart fridge go viral after mother confiscates phone. So there is a student who is... um evidently a bit of a YouTuber and her mother got mad. I think the article says when she wasn't paying attention in the kitchen and a fire started and it had to do with social media. So anyway, mom decided to take away the smartphone and Twitter access and it actually tweeted something like I am shutting this channel down. And so the team was able to get onto their Wii and uh, send some tweets out to, you know, the fans waiting with bated breath um mom was able to to get wise to that. And so then the team was able to use, I think, their LG smart refrigerator, which can also communicate on the Twitter platform. And you know, on tweets you can see what client is used. And so evidently there's, you know, some verification there, seeing that yes, the tweet was sent, you know, from the Wii and then it was sent from the smart fridge. So, you know, parents beware if you're trying to shut down a savvy. You know, teenager, remember the smart refrigerator that may be their channel (laughs) to communicate with the waiting world. Uh, Any smart refrigerators, by the way, in your house, Jason, that may may or may not be tweeting with your authorization?
0: Um, Sadly, I I have not uh, gained access to a smart refrigerator yet. And in fact, uh, my parents were looking for a microwave recently to replace one in their home that had... Uh, long been uh, long been past its prime. Hold on one second. We got dog chewing on things. We shouldn't be chewing on. Yeah, you need to stop that. <laughs> um, the um, um, and uh, I did spend a couple of minutes looking at the Amazon Basics microwave, which does talk to Alexa. And I have decided that. That, uh, well, my parents would probably be a little side-eyed at, at that as a prospect in their home when, 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 uh, updating. But, you know, it's to the point where there's a lot of internet connected stuff, and I, I, I buy the smart fridge. There's a lot of interesting applications on the smart fridges, things like scanning UPC codes and putting in reminders for, um, uh, putting in reminders for for when certain ex- you know perishables expire to remind you to use them. There's a lot of cool things that you can do in regards to data to that. But there's going to be a limit to where devices are smart for no reason, right? Um, and I think we are. I wouldn't say we're quickly head to that direction, but I think you're going to start to see probably a, a mitigation of the new devices that you will see that are smart smart device like. Um, I actually recently purchased a smart switch for the first time, a smart light switch, and the reason why I did it was that uh, I'm not necessarily interested in a lot of smart switches in my my house, although I'm super interested in trying to get one for our front light. That's our front porch light. That's uh, be able to rep- control that remotely and be able to turn it on via voice. Uh, there's a lot of interesting advantages there. But, and, and, and the why I'm doing that is because I am i to be frank i 'm terrified of switching out the light switch myself i 've watched four youtube videos now i 'm convinced that I have the skill now and it will do it without uh, you know burning down my house or um, uh, zapping myself but um you know there are a lot of great applications for it, but let 's not go overboard there 's a lot of ways that that things become smart that really isn 't so smart
1: yeah the the internet of things we 've talked about before on the show this is the Huge, huge market that companies are pivoting to uh, where we are having Wi-Fi you know, connections on on all kinds of things. One sign of that is that it is extremely difficult to impossible now to buy a television that is not a, quote, smart TV. Right. Because they are wanting all of those TVs to phone home and report on our, our watching behaviors. Um, it is really important to have an eye towards security when you are – purchasing anything for your house, I'll say that I'm interested also in being able to control like front lights um, around the holiday time. We put some Christmas lights up and I actually have some switches. We do the, the like and probably the fire marshal. I'm, I'm sure the fire marshal uh, locally is watching this. So I'll be, you know, getting a visit from him very soon when I admit this. I don't know that it's actually super, super dangerous, but you put these, um, you know, outlet uh, converters that convert a, uh, a light bulb outlet, you know, and it gives you a plug. And so that's that's how we're actually able to get some of those lights. Anyway, rather than just going for the, the, the smart bulb, I'm interested in replacing the switch on the wall um, because that's how we're actually, you know, turning on our lights on the outside and then, you know, Christmas lights as well. I haven't taken that step yet, but I'm definitely going to be taking a look at the companies and to the degree it's possible, you know, I'd like to see are these, what are these companies doing about security? Is this something that's hackable? We've talked you know, about on the show. It might've even been a year ago, but there was this huge attack called the Mirai botnet attack. And I know that sometimes these Hacks and, and attacks get to be like, yes, it happened again, it happened again. But this was an unprecedented one where these teenagers in Alaska who were hosting Minecraft games, you know, created a program that was able to to hack Internet of Things devices like home security cameras and other systems and then use them in something called a denial of service attack uh, and and actually brought, you know, some segments of the internet down, they had released it in in the open and it was being used by a lot of people. But anyway, crazy stuff. And so um, internet of things is here, it is going to continue to be a big thing. And I totally concur with you, Jason, that, you know, there's companies that are going to throw stuff against the wall, see if it sticks. And we're going to, you know, continue to see some silly things that always happens at the Las Vegas. um What's the show? You actually go oh, to Consumer, Consumer Electronic Show, right? Yeah. Where it's like, you know, if if it can have an internet connection, you know, somebody's going to try to to do that, whether that is a, a functional benefit or not. You got a little Christmas light action going there in the room. It looks like so. Where where it. are you coming from tonight? Is this basement again or a different locale in the Knifer?
0: Um, this um, is this is our this is the the master suite in our home. So. Ah, very good. Oh. We're getting
1: a home tour. So week by week, folks, you can just wait with bated breath to see what new room in the Knifer, you know, castle you're you're going to get to see a small tidbit of on the show. Just yep. another benefit of being a video viewer <laughs> of the EdTech Situation Room. OK, well, I would like to actually uh, shift to a bit of a more serious article, although, of course, that Internet of Things stuff is is serious and, and security related. This is from The New York Times on August 11th. And the article is titled How YouTube Radicalized Brazil. And we have talked on the show quite a bit about the ways in which recommendation engines uh, on YouTube as well as Facebook um, have been, you know, Strengthening echo chambers and um, the ways in which you know targeted advertising and things have has have been um, amplifying divides and f- further polarizing our society and etc. Boy, this is a really mind blowing article that makes me fairly pessimistic about our prospects in the twenty twenty election. Basically, in Brazil, YouTube and the way in which it's amplified. Fringe and in this case right-wing content has allowed folks that were politically unknown to not only you know enter the political fray but also be elected to power, including the presidency. And it really points to I think the, the need for the platforms. And here I'm speaking primarily of Google, YouTube as well as Facebook, but also Twitter, um, to take responsibility for these incredibly powerful, um, you know, tools of political, we could say manufactured consent, or I don't know what all the words for it is, but you know, political manipulation, and, um, you know, address this. And so I know that there is a Netflix special, and someone just asked me about it today at school if I had seen it. That it is about Cambridge Analytica. I'm gonna do my best to try and watch that. I'll get the name of it and try to put that into the show notes. I haven't seen it yet, but this is a great New York Times article. Um, but you know, while I'm kind of pessimistic, I think I think uh, Dr. Neifer has amazing optimism for the the political future. Is is that right, Jason? Do you have have some of our uh, elected officials like solved all the issues with the hearings they've had? And can I can I just put all of these doubts and concerns to bed?
0: Well, see that that's the problem, right? Like unfortunately, um unfortunately, I just don't think that we're making enough progress to say that social media is a safe space for for uh, a safe place for political discussions, right? Like I, I, I it's it's interesting because um, I had made a comment on Twitter yesterday about the necessity to be mindful about uh, you know emails before you you shoot them off and 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 you know to not react emotionally to to that messaging since you have the advantage that you don't really need to, right? It's an asynchronous environment, and someone had made a, a smart comment that was you know pretty insightful. But so in other words, don't treat it like Twitter, right? And it's like that's a smart piece here, right? And. That's that's one of the things one of the reasons why things get so ratcheted up when you just talk about like issues discussions with friends is that the speed of the environment and the fact that you can you know press a couple of buttons and and have communication back and forth is you know a real uh, a real interesting part of the environment but you know we've talked a lot about various congressional hearings they've brought Facebook um Google, various other types of of, of of companies that are involved in the space into the uh, uh, into hearings in Congress. They've also been called in front of British Parliament, uh, European Union Congress. That all of these bodies are, you know, working on a, um, a, 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 a some kind of peace here, and we're just not making any progress. Yep. Yeah. It is.
1: We are. We we need to uh, have some. I think political uh, ways to address this and, and we're, we're seeing Europe lead the way in that. And unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see anything in time for the 2020 election. Uh, although as we were talking at, at lunch today, actually at school, you know, the U.S. military is not sitting by idly. There's stuff they're doing. Um, but they're not necessarily advertising that. Hey, yep. question from the chat room. Um, Peggy was asking the previous article you talked about as far as rural broadband and connectivity and everything. You said kind of be careful or we need to be wary. Can you elaborate a little bit on,
0: on that? Are you just talking about from a regulation standpoint? What kind of regulations get oh, pushed out or? No. I think that it's a follow through with companies, right? I think a lot of people take large government uh, uh, efforts like this and pitch for billions of dollars in funding and then don't actually follow through with the the development of, of, of the broadband. And that, that's been an issue in, in Eastern Montana where a major telecom accepted a federal funding to, to extend the fiber network uh, in that region only to find that not only were they not successful in um uh, uh, finishing it it then limited future funding opportunities because that area had already been paid for in essence and so um, I um, you know I, I believe that 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 uh, government spending is a critical piece for infrastructure I think that telecom is infrastructure in the United States but we need to make sure we're getting the bang for our public buck
1: awesome evidence ladies and gentlemen that being here live and being able to put some things into the chat room can chart the course of the dialogue here on the ed Tech situation room. Thank you, Peggy, for your question and for your response, Jason, where would you like to go next with our articles?
0: Well, let's talk some Apple. There's some interesting stuff that I, I want to hear your thoughts about, uh, Wes. So, uh, The first one, this has been an announcement for a week or so, and Apple has has sent out what I would call a lukewarm or maybe unsatisfying response. But Apple is turning on a feature in iOS that has been there for some time, but has been turned off, that essentially warns users that they are using um, uh, invalid batteries. In other words, they are using third-party batteries that were placed in usually by, you know, one of, of, of dozens of chains across the United States that will do things like like put in batteries. And um, they are warning that that they are dangerous. They are, I think, I, I read somewhere that, that it may impact updates at one point. And then it also obviously voids your warranty, which I think most people know before they go with a third party. I hate this. Um, I, I, you know, I, the, I, I have a big problem with the fact that, that phones are moving towards, are moving away from user replaceable batteries. I think that's a bad phenomenon. I would sacrifice a little bit of thinness and a little bit of lightness to have a user replaceable battery. But what is so smug about this is that it assumes that every user is near an Apple store. And that is simply not the case. Uh, Montana has zero Apple stores, zero. There are none in the state. And again, to drive from end to end of it, you're looking at 12 hours anyways. So it's not like one in one corner of the state would serve, but I don't like the fact that you can't walk into uh, an Apple store um, in any city in Montana. The closest one to us is a five hour drive from Missoula. Um, And have an Apple technician take a look and replace the battery, which means your only options to ship that phone in and lose it for, I'm assuming, you know, a minimum of three days to to be able to make that happen and likely longer. Um, So, Wes, I know you're a big Apple family. You do have Apple Store access. Does that change your mind about this issue?
1: Well... Overall, I think I mean with printers too, right? We've had companies, you know, if you use third-party ink, you know, you've uh, destroyed your your printer and is you know try they've you know tried to use technology to actually stop that, you know, because the money in printing, which is which is a little bit different, but in home printers is much more in the ink than it is the, the sale of the initial um, device. And so using intellectual property to try to you know force you to to um, you know go with with their ink and, and whatever. It It reminds me of a little bit of that. Uh, overall, and, and I think this, this is, I don't know to what, to the extent that this is an Apple thing, but, you know, we've just transitioned, I think, finally. There's only a, well, there's a few more in some, in a lab, but we've, well, another cart. We've almost, we still have a few of the 2012 vintage MacBook Pros, uh, at our school. And, and those were workhorses. They are workhorses, right? We've gotten great return on investment on those. Uh, replaceable battery, replaceable hard drive, right? You can crack that thing open and do uh, a bunch of stuff. Upgrade the RAM. You know, with our new MacBook Airs, I don't think we can open them at all and do anything with them uh, without voiding a warranty. Uh, and so Apple is it's, – it's just sort of the – almost it's not a disposable appliance in the same way you have kitchen appliances. But it definitely, you know, reduces what you can do as a school IT department or as an individual when you want to update. And I definitely appreciate that Apple's battery and their software – is really sophisticated in terms of knowing exactly how many charge cycles that you have, you know, how, how long you've got it. But I, I will, I will concur that the mail-in program, uh, is, is really not a great option. Um, we just, my wife and I became uh used Apple watch wearers and woohoo. Um, you know, my, my sister came to town and ended up getting a new one and sold her second generation Apple watch. Uh, and my wife got that. And then I, I got on Swappa, which if you haven't used that before, Swappa.com, uh, we bought a few different phones there and, uh, got the Apple watch, uh, third, a third generation Apple watch. Anyway, my wife's like the first night she had it, she was going to update it. And it essentially bricked and we got on the phone, talked to Apple and they're like, oh, well, yeah, now that in. it's going to be two hundred and thirty five dollars for us to look at this. Well, this is an eighty dollar watch. And so like there's no way we're going to spend. I mean, you can get a, a new one uh, or I guess a ref- we could have gotten a third generation uh Apple watch uh like new, I think maybe for less than that. Anyway, um It was crazy. And so we ended up going into the Apple store. Thankfully, we've got one here in Oklahoma City and lo and behold, there's a little bleed over for somebody else's channel. I think Um, that was weird. Lo and behold, uh, they were able to send it in for free uh, to the repair facility, charged us zero, watch came back, totally restored with software. If we were in Montana, we would not have had that recourse and, and we would have, you know, had to do something different. So. I don't know. I don't, I realize that Apple is not going to be able to afford to put a store everywhere, but I, I also just kind of see that as the whole trajectory of where they are with their hardware platforms, which is really not empowering individual users or, or departments uh, in technology departments in schools or anywhere else to be able to replace them. So, um, yeah, not a, wouldn't be really happy with, with that. I think I'm a little bit more like Steve Wozniak. You know, he was the one really pushing Steve Jobs and, and pushing Apple have lots of expandability, you know, let, let people mess with their systems and, and customize. And Steve Jobs was much more, no, don't let them touch the inside of the, you know, beautiful system. Um, and, and Jobs is kind of, for the most part, won or his legacy has won that. Um, I think the new MacBook Pro, while it's crazily expensive, uh, it definitely has a lot of expandability. But anyway, I'm sad to, to see that, too. I would love to to see us, you know, get the same kind of return on investment that we had, let's say, out of those 2012 MacBook Pros, um, you know, out of our new systems. And because we can't crack them open, I mean, we were able to put solid state drives in those and just, you know, extend the life and um, Anyway, we're not able to do that, but I think that's just part of a bigger transition that that Apple's had to, you must come to us to do anything that you want in terms of change and upgrade.
0: And then another, um, and I, I can't remember if we talked about this one last week, I don't think we did, but I want to mention it. Uh, Apple's now reporting that uh, the iPhone makes up less than half of Apple's business. And that is a, a mass shift towards services, right? They've been working on, on solidifying iCloud, making that a better app across platforms. They have obviously their, their television service that, that is rolling out. Um, that, that, that they're, they're looking to pick up less and less and less from, from the iPhone as a profit driver. I will be frank that, um, um, uh, I don't, I, at least from a school standpoint, I think the movement towards services is, 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 is curious because I hope that, that they continue to understand that hardware sales and then support to schools should continue to be a big part of its business, right? Like it's, that even though they are likely, likely to sell TV subscriptions to, um, to schools, that, that needs to be an increasing part of that. So, um, it, it may be good news from the, the broader standpoint of, um, uh, you know, Apple, uh, a uh, longevity is the word I'm trying to say. I tried to mix three words into one there, longevity, but um, it, it would definitely not bring, um, uh, uh, I think, additional great services to schools.
1: Hey, Peggy's asking, uh, would would certified Apple techs in Montana be able to help with that, even though there's not a, an Apple store?
0: There are, there's only two that I know of in a driving distance for me. One is pretty legit, although they weren't able to replace an iPad battery two years ago. They had to ship it out. Um, and then the other one is sketchy. So, yeah.
1: Okay. Well, there's another Apple related article that I put on. And and as we often see with Apple, you know, this is an, this is an overplayed headline, but this is from Forbes on August 12th. The headline is Apple's iPhone nightmare is coming true. Um, but they're pointing to the same statistics you're talking about, which is declining iPhone sales. And when you look at, you know, the expense and cost of the high end iPhones and reducing, uh, numbers of sales. And, and then of course we have lots of rumors about the latest iPhone. I don't think I dropped any of those links into the show notes, but basically I think most people are, are thinking. On, you know, the basis of the, the leaks and the regular, uh, kinds of things that come out of, uh, China and, and the places where these are being produced that, that, that really it won't be an earth shattering redesign uh, or update. Um, and we'll, you know, continue to see some of the, some of the leading edge features still on Android that we're not seeing on, um, on Apple. So anyway, it's saying that basically it takes a long time to ramp up services. And this is just from a, Income standpoint, you know, Apple's fine. They're not going to be, you know, in financial dire straits here anytime soon. Uh, but their strategy is to, you know, try and uh, get increased revenue from the handsets that they do sell and then, you know, have that income, um, have the shift in in services, you know, to be able to to take up the difference and, and whatever. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, one of the most important things is going to be reliability. And then, you know, from a school standpoint, educational technology, uh, ed tech situation room here, um, our school is going to want to buy services from Apple. Uh, it'll be very interesting. We are we're using now the Jamf mobile device management platform, and that that's been a huge transition. And thankfully, shout out to our new. IT manager, uh, Jeremy, who uh, came to us from a sister school here in the local area, we say the school up the road, Um, with tons of experience. I think he'd had like 80 hours of training in Jamf. And uh, that mobile device management is essential today because Apple no longer supports what's called legacy imaging of your hardware. You have to use a mobile device management platform to be able to, you know, manage your devices. So we're talking printers, you know, software updates, um, you know, restrictions that you might want to have on student devices or, or uh, in labs or whatever. And so anyway, um We are spending, you know, X amount per computer per year for mobile device management. That is essential. That's an essential service that we cannot skip today, and that's a service. But Jamf is a third party. Uh, We continue to use a a company called TechPilot. It used to be TabPilot, and let's see, it actually got purchased by (laughs) Securely, I think. Um, And so, anyway, they're they're still TechPilot, but. Anyway, those are services that schools are having to pay for, and pretty much everyone in the enterprise that's managing devices is needing to have mobile device management. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Apple moves in that space. Are they going to, like, say, purchase Jamf? Um, you know, we had we had tentatively played with and and even tried out to the point of spending some money a solution called FileWave, and FileWave is a cross-platform, or it, it is touted as a cross-platform. Solution that can allow you to manage Windows desktops as well as your Apple devices. Um, we, we honestly didn't have somebody with the expertise in, in dealing with that. And it is a sophisticated and, you know, complicated thing. You really need to have somebody certified with a lot of training hours. I, I firmly believe to be able to use those platforms effectively. So I'm going to be interested to see how Apple, you know, moves in that space because, you know, we're not buying, um, you know, Mac, iCloud, whatever, you know, space for for uh, faculty. Um, we're not paying for Dropbox either, right? We're at Google Campus. <sighs> and uh, I'm not going to comment uh, publicly about Microsoft <laughs> and, and what's happening right now as far as 365, but I will say, uh, like for our school, but what I will say is that, you know, that is certainly Microsoft's vision is that, yes, there's this free tier, but what you really need to do is pay or a subscription to Office 365, and they're even, you know, pushing home users. I don't think I put that article in either, but there was something about, you know, changes to, and ending, I think, support for Office 2019 and how they're just really pushing users to subscription. So what will Apple do in that respect? And then will their products that they have, you know, be reliable and be, um, I think, rock solid in the same way that I would say Google has been, even though there's products that are canceled, et cetera. You know, Google Drive has been really, really solid. Gmail super solid. I don't see us transitioning off of those platforms anytime soon. So what will the services for schools be that Apple provides? That is an open question that remains to be answered.
0: Okay, and then one other just uh, public service note, PC Magazine reported today that certain Mac Pros have been banned by the Federal Aviation Administration for flying on airplanes, and they're part of a recall. I would hope you'd already know about that, and I think I've read somewhere that, that, that Apple's actually sending direct messages through the operating system to those that are impacted by the recall. But this one's, you know, hard and probably won't impact you. Even if you have one of the suspect laptops, by the way, the the laptop explode. That's why they've been recalled. It's been a battery explosion issue. Um, I've read a number of articles, uh, I'm sorry, a number of comments on articles that say that the problem here is what are they going to do? Look at your serial number. It's not like the galaxy note seven issue where that had a distinctive form factor and all of them were recalled. But something to keep in mind, if you're a Mac person, um, take a look at uh, these articles and make sure that you're not impacted.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Let's see. Um, uh, Let's talk about cashmere real quick. Um, I put this one down at the bottom under uh, right above geeks of the week, man, there is crazy stuff going on right now. If you're not tracking Hong Kong and what has been happening with the protests there and the ways in which the Chinese government is apparently Going to be uh, taking away a lot of the freedom and, re- you know, local sovereignty and, 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 and uh, autonomy that Hong Kong has enjoyed since the transition from, you know, British colonial empire rule. Uh, lots of protests and uh, the news I heard this morning from NPR was saying they were talking about suspected terrorism and there's some thought that maybe they're going to be cracking down on protesters in the name of terrorism. So that is happening. and We've talked on the show about like the spike in I think it was Telegram downloads as a secure messaging app and the ways in which protesters have organized. They've worn masks to try to prevent facial recognition technology from being able to identify them. Uh, But it's really a a very much pro-democracy movement where the people are saying, no, we want to remain, you know, independent and not have you, um, you know, big China coming in and making us like every other Chinese city. Well, uh, shout out to The Daily, which is a wonderful New York Times-produced podcast. I, I heard about Kashmir, and so this article is from The New York Times. It's titled Inside Kashmir, Cut Off from the World, a Living Hell of Anger and Fear, and this is from August the 10th. And basically, and, and I'll I, I will try to put a link to the daily show that talks about all the the history because like how many of us are really up on the history of Kashmir and the founding of 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 India, you know, in, in nineteen forty seven or whatever? Um, so I'm gonna draw on that. Basically Kashmir has uh which is a majority Muslim province, has enjoyed a lot of autonomy, but it's also been just really poor and you know Pakistan is a predominantly Islamic country that is, um, you know, a nuclear power and, and that is a rival of India. India is a predominantly Hindu, but also very diverse country. Anyway, they have cut off. So basically what the, the prime minister of India has gone in to do is to cut again autonomy. So there's a little parallels to Hong Kong, but prior to this, in addition to like moving troops in and stuff, they completely cut off all internet. All cell phones, all telecommunication, and they have basically sealed off the entire province to prevent not only journalists but regular folks from being able to get the word out and so they are they are attempting to completely suppress the communications environment so that politically and i think I think they have martial law in place and people can 't you know go out um, they want to you know, re- rewrite the political rules, and evidently the, the the person whose name I should know, but I have not said it enough times to have it roll off my tongue. The current prime minister of India, who was reelected, you know, felt like um, that that they, they he has the um, you know political support to try and and change this situation. So. Uh, both of those, from a technology standpoint, are extremely fascinating. The roles that technology, you know, can play in the case of Hong Kong in organizing a protest. And in the case of Kashmir, the government trying to completely prevent that. So not announcing and really, you know, um, telegraphing. I'm not thinking of the right word, but when you, when you, uh, you know, kind of show your card. So I don't, I don't know that people knew this was going to be happening. Uh, and so you really think of this as a, as a military and security state operation where they have, uh, you know, taken away the opportunity to have voice. So, um, Jason, on, on your travel plans, I know you all have great bucket lists of, of travel. I'm, I'm just going to recommend that in the short term, at least Hong Kong and Kashmir might not be the next places that you and the wife head out to visit.
0: It's funny you should mention that because we we're actually trying to plan a couple of trips big trips uh, one a year for the next couple of years and um, Japan is on our list um, uh, Thailand's on our list and southern Spain is on our list for Christmas trips in the next couple of years but we also are super interested in both China and India and I don't know i I've never been scared scared off of a location due to world crises and you know admittedly i you know, tend to, uh, I've I've spent more time in Western Europe than anywhere else. Right. So it's not like I'm, uh, you know, heading off for, 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 uh, those kinds of adventures. But, um, I, I've known, I've, I've, I've had a friend that worked for a long time in Hong Kong and he's now back in the States, but it's a great tourist destination as it turns out. So, and I've, yeah, I've been listening. NPR has excellent coverage on the issue in Hong Kong.
1: Hey, shout out to Lori Green, who is, uh, tuning in with Facebook Live says, don't, don't count on all, don't count all of us out on not knowing about this with world politics. So yay, the, the, uh, good followers of the EdTech Situation Room tracking with that. I think the reason I said that was because I mentioned it today at lunch and, and I don't think any of the teachers that were there, um, well, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know how many people have been tracking with it. So it's definitely great for folks to be tracking with it. And it's an example of, you know a hugely important current event um, that has lots of ramifications, and and the ways in which I mean, technology is being used there, and and voices are being suppressed. That what a, what an important thing to talk about uh, with students and to be aware of, and then also to consider the ways in which we might or might not try and advocate on behalf of those that are affected in those situations. It just I mean, can you imagine having all of your <clears throat> cell phone and internet uh, just cut off and, and not being able to either send or receive information today? That seems like it would be a jarring and shocking situation. And then, yeah, what? Uh, I guess you're just going to turn on state-sponsored TV then at that point, right?
0: Uh, uh Yeah, sadly so. So, um <laughs> Um. Well, I, I want one more technical one that that's got some interesting stuff going on this week, and then we're we're quickly approaching the top of the hour. So some interesting Google news. Um. First, I, this one probably there's other st- interesting stuff in this week, but this is one that I read about deeply today, and I'm blown away by. Um, Google has announced that they have turned course kit, which was their open source framework for, uh, developing online content for, for teaching purposes. And they've rolled it into something called assignment, Google assignments. And, um, this is, uh, probably only super exciting to a small percentage of our listeners. But, um, basically what course assignment allows you to do is take a Google classroom like interface and offer it as an LTI object, which is suckable into a learning management system. So, to, use the,
1: to use a technical term.
0: Yeah, to use a technical term, suckable into a learning management system. So for those of you that are unaware of learning management systems beyond the, the, the very popular ones, say like Edmodo, Google Classroom, Microsoft Teams, um for the classroom um essentially you can add a google classroom like interface to use google docs in something like moodle and so my partner in crime at work and I Mike Agostinelli, today were rejoicing there was many 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 screams of cheer um uh uh that we are, are able to to use this interface now it's not fully rolled out yet but if you're in the distance learning world or more importantly if you um uh, a manage Moodle or a like LMS, this is a wonderful option to add in, uh, uh, you know, that very powerful editing and sharing interface into your learning management system. So good on the Googles. That is
1: awesome. Um, I want to do two more quick ones here. Um, and I'm just dropping this this link in right now. Uh, Jason, have you heard yet of Harmony OS? I, am I going to actually have a, like a, an Android headline first before you or Yeah that's the that.
0: it's the Huawei uh, alternative OS right
1: Exactly so this is a Forbes article from uh let's see uh August 10th Move over Android Huawei's Harmony OS is plan B but it could be implemented quote in days if needed and so um, we have been talking on the show for a number of, of weeks about the really bizarre and interesting things that are happening with China and the United States, especially with regard to talking about 5G rollout and Huawei, the prohibition of using, you know, Huawei devices, the encouragement that the U.S. is trying to give to and even strong arm tactics to countries not to adopt Huawei hardware, you know, in its next generation 5G um, Uh, hardware that that is being deployed right now, Um, the arrest of the CFO of Huawei in in China or sorry, in Canada, pending extradition to the United States, which I haven't followed up on that to know if she's still there. So anyway, this next chapter is, um, you know, Google had announced that it was going to be cutting off support for some devices. And so there was a... there. Certain, certain, uh, Huawei phones were going to have Android, but then there's a question about, well, will they all have it? And then what's going to happen? So, Harmony OS is this alternative operating system, which has evidently been developed by, uh, the Chinese cell phone manufacturer Huawei. Um, and then they're, they're going to be po- poised to be able to, to utilize this if needed. Now, because of app development and app developers, you know, let's say, Huawei does, dump Android, and they just go Harmony OS. I, I don't know how many folks outside of China are going to want to purchase uh, a phone that, that can't run Android. And, you know, how many app developers are going to rush into the open arms of Harmony OS? I don't know. But uh, your thoughts on this, Android using Dr. Neifer. Um, are, are you ready to somehow procure a Harmony OS and, you know, device, Huawei device, and, uh, you know, ditch, ditch this you know, Android thing.
0: Well, it, it's funny because it's compatible with Android because it's built on top of open source versions of Android. Right. So that's something that was like, I think kind of inevitable and it's the Amazon strategy, right? Like Amazon builds their operating system for mobile devices, tablets, tablets, um, on top of open source Android, that's why that they're the apps are theoretically compatible. I think the world's better when there are more options, right? I, in the same way that I would never f- force my uh, preferred operating system onto others. I'm currently a Chrome OS guy. I've been very happy with the Chrome world. I think it's better when we have three, four, five, six different competitors, as long as there's compatibility for broadly software suites. And the more the internet becomes functional on its own, it doesn't really matter what operating system you're using, because as long as you can get to the web, you'd have access to materials in a meaningful way. But, um, you know, that I, I don't really have a formed opinion about, you know, what is happening to Huawei and, and, in fact, broadly about, you know, globalization as it relates to technology trade in China. But I can say it wouldn't be surprising to me, in fact, a lot of Chinese phones, uh, that are running technically Android aren't even using Android. They're using a skinned version of Android that looks like iPhones. That That's a very common phenomenon in, in in China. So, yeah, the more operating systems there are, the better.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, one more quick article at least from me, and this will kind of segue into my geek of the week. I put this one under Google. This is a, a couple months old, so this is from NextWeb on June the 14th, 2019, uh, the article title is YouTube recommendations are toxic, says the dev who worked on the algorithm. I think I actually found this article perhaps from that New York Times article. And so anyway, it is talking about again the, like the Brazil article, the, uh, the radicalizing potential of YouTube and how quickly, uh, if you're watching YouTube because of its recommendation engine and autoplay, you know, gu- YouTube's objective, um, has been and probably still is to try to get folks to watch as much as possible, because you're going to be seeing more ads and and they're going to be generating more revenue. And so, um, you know, this, this whole idea, like we had a a parent university session in April. I think it was in April. Uh, we had a couple at the, at the end of the year last year. And, And one of them was, let's talk about YouTube. Uh, you know, the power of YouTube to influence, uh, minds and and certainly, for students following you know YouTube stars, you know ask some teens today i mean who who are you following on YouTube who are the the uh, what are the big channels that you like to watch um, you know there's there's a lot of product placement and uh, in they 're called influencers right the folks that are um, you yeah, know obviously Jason and I are key influencers in the the teen world no um we are not that that target market. But there, there's a lot of folks that are making their living on YouTube and they're sharing a lot of things about products that they like, but also sometimes products that they themselves sponsor. Um, and that whole landscape is not just benign in terms of, Oh, look, they're wanting it. You know, they're not wanting eyes odd. They're wanting, you know, whatever the, the uh, brand jour is uh, there's a lot of, of real outlier content and ways in which fringe uh, and we, and even, you know, we could say pretty dangerous ideas uh, with respect to, uh, white supremacy, um, you know, hate, hate speech, um, the shooters that we've seen, you know, in, uh, New Zealand, um, I think the El Paso shooter wasn't 4chan, it was 8chan, uh, the manifestos that have been published there and the ways in which, um, you know, people who are engaging in not only criminal, uh, but arguably, you know, terrorist type violent acts are being Encouraged and folks are are as we can see in the case of Brazil, you know, <laughs> being uh, arguably radicalized. So that's a that's an important um, thing to be aware of. And so I'll just actually is it okay if I do my geek of the week, or do you have another yeah, yeah. article? Okay, right. so so my geek of the week segues to that, and it is a website called Algo Transparency. And so what this website lets you do is track how YouTube recommendations are are working so for instance you can put in the word Brazil uh, you could put in um, you know a, a date and um, you can I guess Brazil's really not let me let me, let me go up to the top and say uh, top top uh, 25 verbs. So um, the robot is observing 8.9 million recommendations over a six month period for more than a thousand channels available for each keyword in the title. We looked at the number of recommendations divided by the number of videos and we display below the 25 verbs um, at the third person singular present that recorded the highest. And so these these words are like dismantles, educates, debunks, snaps, realizes. And so you can see how many recommendations per video are going to be based on this and and anyway i have and then there's a YouTube map um that is showing you kind of it's sort of word cloudish you know, but what are the different uh words and you can you can click on that and kind of dive into it it It's fascinating. I have just you know begun to explore that. But uh, I think this kind of a tool. Um, I'll read you the aims of the project. We aim to inform citizens on the mechanisms behind the algorithms that determine and shape our access to information. YouTube is the first platform on which we've conducted the experiment. We're currently developing tools for other platforms, so we can think about this perhaps as as a window, but an interactive window. Um, that can g- allow you to gain some insight into how the recommendation engine of YouTube works. And if you happen to be doing anything around media literacy today with students or as a researcher, um, you know, it's, this is powerful. Uh, Peggy's asking in the chat room, can you just uh, turn off YouTube recommendations? And uh, I, there are certainly ways that you can um, turn off advertising and for individual uh videos, like when you're sharing them with students, um, there's tools like safe YouTube and, and other things that can, you know, share the video stripped of all the comments and all the recommendations. But, um, there's not a way to just completely, to my knowledge, turn off recommendations. Um, again, when you're sharing a single video, there's quiet tube. There's a lot of different, you know, little, um, uh, bookmarklets and extensions that you can use. Of course, we got to be really careful with extensions because you may, you know, end up installing something uh, malicious on your on your device. So you want to be careful whenever you're installing things like that. But anyway, that's the geek of the week. And if anybody ends up using that and exploring with that, I would love to know what you what you discover. Uh, I'm I'm going back in the classroom this year and working with fifth and sixth graders. So we'll be talking about advertising and and I think a little bit of propaganda. I don't think we're going to be going heavily into social media weaponization. Um, but these kinds of tools that are going to allow us to, to peer into the algorithms and see the ways in which the things that we're watching and seeing are being, you know, crafted and shaped and, and people are making these algorithms. I think those are, are really powerful and it's important for us to, to have students recognize that and, and then to think about all the ethics around those algorithms.
0: Great. Thanks, Wes. And then my Geek of the Week is just a, a technical tip. We've talked about this a couple times in the past on the podcast, but um, Google's original high-end Chromebook, the Chromebook, uh, the Chromebook Pixel from 2013, um, is uh, uh, end-of-life. It is no longer receiving updates from... Um, the good folks at Google. But as I had mentioned, I thought Cloud Ready, which is an open source version of Chrome OS that you can install yourself uh, for free if you're a home user. Um, is now installable on the Pixel Two Thousand Thirteen, and there's a wonderful guide um, on iFixit by Kevin Purdy, formerly of Lifehacker fame, um, and now a blogger, a tech blogger, and writer at iFixit. And it does require a little bit of a hardware hack. You have to go in and pop off the the um, uh, uh, back cover and un. Uh, remove a screw so you can actually go in and update the computer's firmware to be able to accept the new operating system. But that's a wonderful piece of hardware that's no longer supported by Google, and it is supported by Cloud. Well, not officially, but works with Cloud Ready. So if you're if you have one of those devices, or if you want to go buy a nice Chromebook on eBay for 150 bucks, uh, that's got an i5 chip in it and and uh, a wonderful screen and keyboard. Uh, this would be a way to keep that fresh and up to date.
1: Awesome. Hey, and I, I put this up uh, on the chat, but Lori Green is saying uh, via Facebook Live that the the example there that we were just talking about, the um, algo transparency is a good tool for districts and teachers to use to learn about AI and how all of this works. And yay. I hope it is. So that's why we like to do the geeks of the week. And we want to remind everybody that if you'd like to go back and see geeks of the week and all that stuff, Jason, is, is it possible? Has it, is this like Snapchat? Is all this stuff just gone into the totally vac- God
0: uh, No, good news. You can go to our website at techsr.com slash so links and see um, uh, all the links we share on any given week. And then also that website, you can download teeny tiny copies of the podcast or you can um, see the show notes about the specific links we talk about in every other episode. Wes, where can we find you on the internet? I am on Twitter
1: at fryer and I am blogging as well as podcasting a bit on speedofcreativity.org. I also anticipate that in upcoming weeks, as we move into the school year, we'll be updating some resources on our digital citizenship website for students, parents, and community constituents. And that is on digcit, digcit.us. How about you, Dr. Neifer?
0: I am on Twitter at TechSavvyTeach. I blog for the Northwest Council for Computer Education, blog.ncc.org. And I will say that, not written by me, but we have a a partnership with Common Sense Media, and we've been publishing some of their materials the last couple weeks in the blog, and it's really good stuff. So go check out that. Um, But this... This thing here is, is not, not social media. This is a podcast. We are the EdTech Situation Room, and you can watch us every Wednesday night or most Wednesday nights um, at uh, 8 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Central, and 3 a.m. UTC, I think, if you know. Really early in the morning. If yeah, you're yeah out. probably not realistic to see us live if you are in Western Europe, but... Um, If you want to come see us live, we post out a a live uh, show link out at the time we broadcast. We'd love to have guests in either our Facebook or YouTube audience. We're available in both locations now. Um, um, Or you can download us wherever finer podcasts are aggregated. Until next time, we hope you stay safe, you stay savvy, and we bid you a good morning, good day, or good evening.